in Luke chapter 6. We're going to be in, this is what's called the Sermon on the Plain. Um, it's the longer sermon. There's going to be a lot of red letters if your Bible um, so demarks black and red. Um, we'll back up and begin in verse 17. We'll overlap with some of the verses we, we looked at last week, but then we'll look at the next section of verses. Let's look at this as a whole again. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will, will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. This is God's Word. This is Christ's teaching here on this level place. These are hard words, right? It, so what qualifications do we need to make with these words, Derek? 
Because these are hard. These are words from our Lord. Come back with me to verse 27. But I say to you who hear, and let's remember who is gathered here on this level place. It is three groups of people. Them, these are the 12 apostles he has named after a nighttime of prayer. This is a great crowd of disciples. And this is a great multitude of people. People who've traveled long distances from different directions. Because they've heard, they want to hear him. And to be healed of him. And as they touched him, power came out from him and healed all their diseases. But then he speaks to his disciples. He looks up on his disciples when he begins to teach. In verse 20, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Everyone can hear him. Everyone can hear him, but he is directing his words to disciples. He is here to make disciples, even as he has compassion on all. So many are receiving from Christ great benefit healing to their body and their soul. But he's teaching to see who will respond. Disciples respond. Disciples know and follow him. And so it is true that we receive blessing after blessing after blessing. And we get so used to receiving that we need a jarring word that calls us also to response, else we think God is just here to serve us. And he has. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he has served us with great salvation. But by this measure, by how he has loved us, we then are to so know and follow him loving others. So are we here just to receive or are we here to respond? Are we satisfied just to be in the crowd? Or do we want to be a disciple that will know and follow him? Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear. I, I don't know if there's anyone deaf in this crowd. It seems like everyone's getting healed. So everyone with an earshot is able to hear him on this level place. And just consider, he who fashioned our, but just consider the wonder of hearing. I've got signals coming from my brain, going to my vocal cord. It's vibrating my vocal cord. It's going out of my mouth. Somehow there's like, in the air space right now, there's vibrations going out. It's hitting your ear canal. It's vibrating there, sending a signal to your brain, and your brain's kind of figuring out what I'm saying. Think of the speed that that's happening. Think that's even happening at all. All the things that are in the air. I don't understand Wi-Fi. I don't understand all the stuff that's satellite signals. How do we... There's a lot in the air right now. Even my voice from here to you. Can you hear me? Some say, Derek, you talk too fast. I'll try to slow down. I got a lot of notes. <laughs> Some of us have the technology of hearing aids, which is also a marvel. But this is not the hearing Jesus is speaking of. Many are hearing his audible words this day, but fewer are hearing by faith. Because apart from faith in the Lord, we are all deaf. Psalm 135. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. 
Verse 18, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And a professor of mine just said, we always resemble what we revere. You're always going to become like what you worship. And so those who worship idols become just like them, deaf and dumb and blind, unable to hear. Apart from faith in the Lord, our human heart is a perpetual factory of idols, Calvin would say. And anything can be an idol, and please don't think of it. In this culture, it was fashioned silver, bronze, gold. It can be an idea. Anything can be an idol, and it's not just the vices of this world. It's actually the good things which we make God things. We spoke about money last week. Money is not evil. But when we worship money, it becomes an idol. Our relationships are not bad. They are gifts of God. It's not good for us to be alone. But take a friendship and idolize it, or take a marriage and idolize it. Have some kids and idolize them. They become idols. The good gift of marital intimacy. Recreation, just in this world. The things that we've created, just games we play. Things we do, things we go and explore, they can become idols. But it's also the philosophies of the day. Our self-determinism, our tribal, our identity politics. Whatever the idol is of the day, apart from the worship of the Lord, we are all idolaters. And apart from faith in the Lord, we are all deaf. But listen to this great promise through the prophet Ezekiel. This is the word of the Lord. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you. We in Christ Jesus are cleansed from all of our idols. Now our flesh will want to rewind and go back and go back to idol worship. But we have the, the indwelling spirit of the living God within us who convicts us of sin to lead us to hear the words of Christ. Faith. How does it come? Through hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Do we have faith in Christ because we've heard his word? He has come to save us. He has died for our sins. And he calls us to faith. This is through his word. Verse 18 says, A great multitude of people came from a great radius to hear him. But he says, But I say to you who hear. So to hear Jesus is to obey Jesus. And so this is the last portion of the Sermon on the Plain. Verse 46. Just glance your eyes down. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, see the hearing and obedience connection, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke out against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds a house on a ground without a foundation 
And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. To hear Jesus is to obey Jesus. Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, what does the Lord want us to hear today? So that's what, where we are this morning. What does He want us to learn? And for these next verses, He wants us to learn about love. So before we jump into this, the word love, let me set this biblically. By definition, love is relational. I don't think anyone would argue with me. I mean, you can say, I love pumpkin spice, but pumpkin spice doesn't love you back. It's not relational. You can say, I, I will say, I'm ready, I love Christmas music. It, it kind of loves you. No, it doesn't love you back. I even heard when we sang Prepare Him Room, just, I saw my whisper behind me, isn't that a Christmas song? I know, but our music team tweaked the lyric a little bit because it worked. Love is relational, a subject, an object, back and forth. Love is from God because God is love. But Derek, I thought you said that love requires at least two persons, and God is one. Yes, hear, O city light, the Lord our God is one. And he exists eternally in three perfect persons, distinct. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the triune God. The Father loving the Son and the Spirit eternally. The Son loving the Father and the Spirit eternally. The Spirit loving the Father and the Son eternally. Love can exist because our God is triune. If God was not triune, love would have to be created. But because God is three persons in one God, Love is eternal. God did not create us because He needed us. He was not bored, lonely, needing a companion, and so He creates us for love. He's had love forever in eternity past within the triune Godhead. But for His glory and His good pleasure, He creates us in His image. We have the capacity to love because as He has loved us, we can now so love him and others. Love is an attribute of God. It is communicable to us. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19. That's inside my wedding band. Love is the fulfillment of the law, the greatest command. Jesus would teach on another occasion. This is the great command of the law. This is the great fulfillment of it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love is not a feeling, but feelings do accompany love. Love is commitment. Love is action. Biblical love is covenant. Remember, those who truly hear Jesus will obey Jesus. So what does he teach us about love? Look at verse 27 and 28. Four quick commands. Four calls to love. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Let's look at them in sequence. Love your enemies. Leviticus 19.18, which Jesus quoted as a great command, says to love your neighbor as yourself. 
But now Jesus is amplifying it and upping the ante to say, love your enemies. There's no general terms of just go love. He says, love your enemies. The question is, what is an enemy? Who is an enemy? Just let's just define it, just even as our culture defines enemy. A person who feels hatred for, fosters harmful designs against, engages in antagonistic activities against one another, an adversary, an opponent. So who are our enemies? The United States has enemies. Folks around the world who despise, hate, oppose our way of life, our national sovereignty, the polarization of our country, political rivals now are enemies, corporate competitors are enemies. Who are the enemies in your life? Who are those in your life that oppose you, foster harm against you, or antagonistic toward you? Is that enemy waiting for you tomorrow at your workplace? You'll, you'll smile in the break room and all that stuff, but you're, you're gunning for the same promotion. Are you feeling you're getting undercut with the way you're getting gossiped at in the workplace? Is your enemy even an estranged family member? Have you felt the enemy of having someone antagonistic toward your faith? Who are your enemies? And Jesus calls us to love them. So the essence of love is to seek their welfare. See, we're not waiting for sentimental feelings so you feel better about them. This is commitment and action to seek their best, their welfare. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so let all that you do be done in love, as Paul teaches the Corinthian church. Sometimes this will be gracious accommodation and long-suffering. Sometimes it's needed conflict with truth spoken in love. But it's always love. Seeking their welfare. Look at, he continues on. If that's not just enough to jar us, do good to those who hate you. This is not just good intentions, hoping for good feelings, because the road to hell is paved with well intentions. But the way of Jesus is surfaced with love and action. So what practical, generous good could you do to those who dislike you, even hate you? Is there someone in your mind yet on who your enemy is, those who oppose you? Please, Holy Spirit, make this real to us. Make it into our life, not these abstract principles. This has got something we got to know and follow for those who hear. Repay evil, no one evil for evil. Give no thought to do what it, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's also the Apostle Paul. Doesn't he sound like his Lord? Because the disciples who know and follow start to sound like their master. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. 
We're now moving from actions to words. Bless those who curse you. This is more than the bless you after a sneeze. This is more than social courtesy. To bless someone is to appeal God's favor on them. To curse them is to to appeal God's judgment on them. So when others are cursing you, not mere profanity, but wishing your harm, wishing your hardship, do not respond in kind. Instead, we're to bless them and desire God's favor on them. Has anyone cursed you before? Jesus also commands us to pray for those who abuse you, those who treat us with spite and malice. But you want me to tell you what this does not mean? Pray for those who abuse you. But this does not mean, we're going to set this in context. This is disciples living out faith. This does not mean stay there and take a beating physically, emotionally, spiritually, vocally. This is not, this is not a, a verse that the domestic abuser can just hold up and say, well, just stay here and take a beating for Jesus. And bless me and pray for me. But it does say that for those who do abuse, that we can even pray, pray for them. The context of this is more the living out of faith and the persecution that's coming, Jesus' disciples. Those who will abuse his disciples because of their faith and witness to him. Acts chapter 7. Stephen, one of the early deacons, preached a fine sermon of the redemptive history of God, pointed to Christ, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died from stoning. Saul of Tarsus was there. So what do you think? Can you be loving like this? This is the standard. This is his his eyes are on his disciples. For those who have ears to hear, this is what he's calling to. Those are hard words because when trespassed, we want retaliation. I want to avenge myself. I want to be the executioner of justice. And if I'm feeling good today, I will be the dispenser of mercy. I, I want to, when people wrong me, I want to be the one who writes it. The problem is I commit more wrongs trying to write it. So why do we feel this way? Why are we given to vengefulness, retaliation? We want to get even. I've lost face. You've hurt me. You've taken something away. I want to get even. If, if it can't get restored to me, I want you to suffer the same way. I want fairness. I want to be fair. If you're going to do that to me, let's make it fair to you. Let's make that an eye for an eye. We think we know best. 
We want to be in control. We've got to restore ourselves before others. If we get further down into our heart here, we don't really trust God to be just. And we really don't want God to be merciful to the trespasser against us. God may not act like we want Him to act or may not do it in the timeline that we want. And so we don't want to surrender ourselves into His sovereignty, to His justice, to His mercy, and so we will take things into our own hands. Here are some signs that we are taking things into our own hands. A bitter heart. We're hot-tempered. Fly off the handle. Give someone the silent treatment. We'll gossip about them. And we can go full-on in enraged conflict, or if we're more civilized, we'll just stay over here and talk about you behind your back. Undercut you over there. But this is not the measure of love that Christ calls us to. And so at this point, through these verses, I could look through church history or current events and find many inspirational, radical examples of love. The 2015 shooting in a Charleston, South Carolina church by Dylan Roof. Do you remember this? At his sentencing, Felicia Sanders, one of the victim's mothers, her 26-year-old son, was killed. She said to Roof, I forgive you. Could, could you forgive someone who hurt or killed a loved one? Or even more recent, and the accidental but fatal shooting of Botham Jean in a Dallas apartment. So Amber Geiger was the officer. Um, she came in and mistakenly shot Botham Jean, who died. And at her sentencing, the victim's brother... Um, Brant Jean addressed her. Go YouTube it. I mean, it's already gone viral. And he tells her, if you're truly sorry, I know that I, can't, I can speak for myself. And There's many more minutes there. He says, I forgive you. I love you as a person. I want your best. I wish you really didn't have to go to jail. He then told her that he wanted her to give her life to Christ. He then asked to give her a hug, and after the judge gave permission, he hugged her in long embrace. And you can hear Geiger's sobs loud. Could you extend such love? See, these are examples, and they humble us, and they move us, and inspire us. But the, revel the ultimate revelation of love is this, Christ Jesus, the eternal Son, come in flesh to our fallen world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus lived a sinless life, perfect in love. It's the example we all needed. But it's the example none of us could follow because we're all sinful in human nature. And yet, for our salvation, he died in our place on this cross. And this is love. 1 John 4, And this is the true love of God that was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. 
In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus says, love your enemies. That's peculiar. That's otherworldly. I don't understand that, Jesus. He says, I have so loved you. For while we were the enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Jesus loves us while we were the enemies of God. So how can we say this is so strange to say love your enemies? He said, this is what I'm doing. I'm here. Jesus does good to those who hate Him. Fulfilling Isaiah 53, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their face, He was despised. We esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By His wounds we were healed. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Jesus, this seems so weird that You would tell us to do good to those who hate us. He said, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing good to You and You've hated God. Jesus blessed those who cursed him. Jesus prayed for those who abused him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He cried out on a bloody cross on Calvary as he was given his life and sacrifice for our sin. Jesus does good for us. Jesus blesses us. Jesus prays for us. Jesus loves us. Are we deserving of God's love? No. We were his enemies. We hated him. We cursed him. We abused him. Yet it was God's rich mercy and lavish love that Jesus saves us. So let me now ask the question, is there anyone in your life not deserving of love? No. There is no one beyond the grace of God. If He has so loved us, we are to so love others even if there are enemies. It does not mean that we are chummy with everyone. It does not mean that our niceness gives some sin-endorsing niceness to our life. We are sin-empowering passivity. Please understand love, biblically defined. There are times not to engage the fool. There are times to shake the dust off our feet. There are times to hand people over to Satan. Hold the whole Scripture in context. But we should have forgiveness in our heart for all. We should pray for all. And as appropriate at the time and in the relationship, we should do good and love actively, visibly, all. If God has so loved us, we ought to also love one another. 1 John. We will move faster here. Look at verse 29, because he then illustrates his own principles. Jesus, the master teacher, gives illustration to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Once again, this is not domestic violence. This is an insult. If someone slaps you on the cheek in an insult, this is, if you are insulted, 
let them insult you again. All for the other cheek. Jesus' words, if we even look at his words in the teaching of the scripture, there are times we need to create necessary distance from abusers. There are times that people need to be handed over to the authorities. These are not verses to endorse domestic violence. But let them not lose their force. Let's quit trying to avenge ourselves when insulted. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold the tunic either. Give to everyone who begs you. How about that one, Derek? Every time I drive down Valley View Mall now, it's like every corner. Give to everyone who begs you. Yes, if someone is truly needy, therefore forced to beg, give generously, self-sacrificial. But we are not required to give foolishly. We do not give to the lazy person who is in need. We are to give in generosity. We've got to hold this in the context of all the scripture. But we also should not try to negate its force so that we become non-generous people. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. This is radical love. We're to reject retaliation, vengeance, to live our lives with loves of self-control, graciousness, generosity, self-sacrifice, even to persecution. Verse 31 is the golden rule, as it's often demoted, but I would call it just golden love. Treat others as you would have them treat you. If we, to, to do to others as they do to us is to return evil for evil. That's what the pagans do. This is not the way of Christ. The mark of the Christian is to treat others as you want to be treated. Don't treat them as they treat you. What would happen if this really was a golden rule lived out in society? It will not be. But what could happen if this was the witness of the church in this fallen world and wicked society? This must be our witness. Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is to you? Sinners do that. If you do good to those who do you, good to you, what benefit is that? Sinners do that. If you lend to those and expect to receive, credit is to you. Sinners do that. What benefit or credit is it to us if our measure of love is the same as the world's? If we're only loving at the same standard that the world loves at, what benefit or credit is it to us? We are called to an otherworldly love, to a heavenly love, to a peculiar love when lived out in this dark world. Love your enemies, he continues on. Do good, let, expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great. Do you remember that word from the blessed? Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. If you're poor of spirit, if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, if you're weeping because of this fallen world, if you're persecuted for Christ's sake, this is your great reward. But what is the great reward here in these last verses of 35 to 38? What do you want? Do you want fairness? 
in this world or do you want blessing by God? Do you want revenge on others or do you want reward from God? Do you want do you want to be God? Or is there a blessedness in being sons and daughters of the Most High? Knowing God our Father. Can I tell you that this is the most radical love that we see in these verses? The most radical thing we see in these verses is not, well, somebody took my jacket and I just gave him my shirt. The most radical love we see in these verses is that Jesus says, you can know God as Father. That you can be the sons and daughters of the Most High. Then if God is our Father, what shall we fear? If God is our Father, what shall we want? If we're here fighting these verses today, my question to us, are we just really angry at God? Because life is not working out like we think it is. And because life's not working out like we want it to, we're not going to trust him to be good. We're not going to trust him to be sovereign. We're not going to trust him to be just. I want to ask us, are we here today holding on to bitterness? Are we here holding on to unforgiveness? Are you here holding on to fear? And so we feel like we must defend ourselves, must take care of ourselves because we can't trust God to do it. This is a radical love. This is what he's speaking to disciples. Who has ears to hear? Where is your heart today? Are you bitter, angry, fearful? We're all stressed out in our relationships, but it's honestly we've got to come back to our relationship to God. Well, God, what about this? What about this? I have so loved you. You're not going to know all my ways. You're not going to know all my thoughts, but I have so loved you. I have sent you my beloved son, and you are my family. And the more that we meditate on that, the more that we realize this, the more we live into this love, this will change us. Not just us trying to fix life, but us being changed by the radical love of God, by the giving of His Son and the pouring out of His Spirit into our hearts. And this is what will change us in the way we live before others. To hear Jesus is to obey Jesus. And to obey Jesus is to radically love others because He has so richly loved us. Let's pray.